0: Once again, Dave Sims here at The Yoga Voice, coming at you with another interesting interview and chat with a really amazing yoga teacher. She's been a community activist. She's been a scuba diving instructor, a student of Buddhism, a horticulturist, a social worker. She's just had this amazing, colorful life of adventure and journeys and yoga and meditation. She shared about some of her uh, amazing teachers that have come into her life from Nikki Myers and Rolf Gates and Matthew Sanford and Tammy Cervantes and people from all over the world that have shared the wisdom of yoga and meditation with her. And and she continues through a, a long career teaching and practicing yoga to share that wisdom with others. So do enjoy my talk with uh, Gaynell, Gaynell Collier-Magar, who is joining us today. So sit back, enjoy, and let us know what you think. All right. Well, welcome everyone. Dave Sims here at The Yoga Voice. And with me today is Gaynell Collier-Magar. Magar? <laughs> Sorry, I've your last name. Welcome, Gaynell.
1: <laughs> hey, Dave. It's I'm just really grateful to be here with you yes. today. So thank you for the opportunity.
0: Yeah, well, thank you, and um, thank you for taking the time. And as we navigate this sort of new normal that we all are talking about, it's nice to be able to connect even on the digital realm, as we are today, I look forward to the the day when we can we can start, you know, doing things in person again, which um, will be when it happens. Yeah. And on the podcast, I always try to start out with asking what your yoga journey has been. So, kind of what life was like before yoga, and what happened, and get to got you on your mat. Or meditation, or both, and then what it's transformed into your life today. So, I I
1: I like I'd like to start just by referencing something that I I always talk about with students, um, just in terms of my own journey, and that is um, I I didn't start practicing yoga till I was fifty to begin with, and at that time I was doing a really you know, fast um, practice, vinyasa practice. It was a Baron Baptiste style of practice. And um, I remember walking out of the classes and thinking, wow, that was a good workout. But there was something more. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I couldn't name what it was. All I could describe was how it felt. And I just felt this lightness and this lift in my body. And and then I noticed how much more focused my mind was. And I was like, wow, okay, well, there's something more there. Um, and so I just continued to practice like that. And um, it wasn't really until um, I started – I did some workshops uh, – around, not around that, but yoga workshops that began to shed some light on what the something more was. And um, <clears throat> I, it wasn't until I I did my teacher training in 2009 with Rolf Gates in Cozumel, Mexico, which is also part of my story, uh, that I really began to understand uh, in terms of yoga philosophy and in terms of um, the physical practice, what the something more was. And, you know, in the first verse of the Yoga Sutras, it basically says yoga is to still the mind. And so I was like, oh, that's what that's about. (laughs) It isn't just a good workout that, oh, there's something more to Um, So I was beginning to have a frame of reference or information that framed what that experience is Mm -hmm. and what I still continue to experience today, which uh, is is why I keep coming back to my mat and coming back to teaching and and practice. So fast forward a little bit – at the time, the other reason I was I was doing yoga is at the time I was also uh, <clears throat> doing powerlifting, and I had a landscaping business at the time that required really heavy physical work, and I had been doing the powerlifting in the winter when I was um, in Mexico. I would go down there for two months in the winter and. Um, got bit by the scuba diving bug basically and started doing scuba diving down there in the winter and subsequently became an instructor, which is another whole story. So I, I, my first yoga teacher, Tammy Cervantes, uh, uh, her, her partner at the time, Jody, he's still her partner, soon to be a husband. And, um, he was, he was an a, he was a, uh, instructor in powerlifting and i remember going to him and saying i want something that has practical value for me in terms of my work and he said powerlifting because it works chains of muscles together and so i began doing that and found out that i was ungodly strong um (laughs) stronger than i realized but when i went back home i still had that initial period of soreness with a three weeks of work hardening from the winter mm-hmm. when I started practicing yoga I didn't have that mm-hmm. and so I could go back to work and not you know experience that that soreness so that told me something that this was quite valuable and um, so I began to practice uh, with Rolf and then I also you know, finished my 200 hour training. And the first class that I taught ever in my life was in Mexico at a yoga of 12 step recovery meeting in a halfway house in Cozumel, Mexico. And um, it was an act of hubris because I was also teaching in Spanish and I was a new teacher. <laughs> And I don't know if you'll want to put this in the podcast or not, but it was, it's a, it's a, one of my favorite yoga stories because it was quite humbling. Um, where The halfway house, it was really a very humble structure, and where we practiced was on a concrete floor with a tin roof and mice running everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the first class, I... <clears throat> language, I was languaging low cobra, press the tops of your feet in your mat. And the, the word for tops of your feet in Spanish is empenes. And what I said was penes, which means penises. So I was telling the men to press their penises firmly into their mat. And the heads all came up and they looked around like, what? And Tammy was with me as a support and she started laughing. And so... It was it was my humbling, but it also taught me as a teacher to just lighten up and have a sense of humor, and and it it's a way of including people. And so I, you know, I learned that. Um, and so, continue with my own practice. At that time, I was teaching seven classes in Cozumel, some in English and some in Spanish came home, started teaching at the Indiana Buddhist Center where I uh, study uh-huh. Buddhism and um, and then I also started teaching at Irvington Wellness Center later down the the line, and uh, teaching a vinyasa class there still, teaching a men's yoga class there, which has been a really very interesting and wonderful experience. They call themselves the Brogas, and they show up and lay down on their mats, and they're just like, "I'm here," and uh, so it's it's been wonderful. I would say the next major milestone for me was having studied with Matthew Sanford, and for those of you that aren't familiar with Matthew Sanford, um he is an extraordinary yogi who um, is paralyzed from the chest down. And he was uh, had his spinal cord severed in an automobile accident when he was 13 years old, and his father and sister died in the accident. And he talks about how even though he, was paralyzed, there was still something that he felt in his body. He calls it a hum or a flutter. And what he's talking about is his energy body. Mm-hmm. And so he, later in his 20s, uh, it was suggested that he studied with an Iyengar yoga teacher. And so he did, which was fortunate, because Iyengar is so precise for alignment and that allows the efficient transfer of energy through the bones, which is basically what he teaches. And he teaches um, adaptive classes, and he also teaches teachers to teach adaptive classes. So I had the good fortune to study with him. Um, and and he, um, the way I got in touch with him, he did a workshop at City Yoga. And it rocked my world because it made prana so literal. He was doing things with his body and having us do things that made that whole understanding at 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 the level of the body of prana so very clear. And um, it was amazing. And then I did a subsequent workshop with him and then studied with him for uh, his level one and two training and then subsequently had an adaptive yoga class at City Yoga and then uh, one at um, Pilates Indy and it's uh, it basically just is learning alignment from the inside out mm-hmm. feeling the uh, one of the tenets of, of adaptive yogas is, is um, prana follows consciousness and wherever we move our consciousness and our body, we're moving prana. Mm-hmm. And, and having ways to do that with verbal cues and also physically referencing on the body to move energy through the body in a way that is alignment from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's been a really profound um practice for myself it's something that I incorporated into all my classes um, and it's uh, it's been a real gift and so I guess I'd like to say here one thing about lineages I I am so grateful for that people say oh that was a great class you know or you're a great teacher and I'll say yeah I've had great teachers and so I'm always um humbled by and so grateful for all the lineages that I I get to draw on. Um, And in this case, obviously it was uh, Mr. Iyengar's lineage that informed Matthew's practice. Um, And um, and then Rolf draws from many lineages. Uh, Kripalu, Anasara, um, Vinyasa, going back to uh, Maddie and um, Chuck who founded Vinyasa Yoga in the United States so so there's that and then I guess the next lineage that I, I got to um, be a part of and still am is Yoga of 12 Step Recovery which was founded by Nikki Myers, the original founder of City Yoga again, a lot of connections to City Yoga um, and I just, I really, uh, yeah, and I really want to say how grateful I am for the space that's been held for all kinds of things at City, and you continue that, certainly, and I just, it's really wonderful. Um, so anyhow, I did the Yoga of 12 Step Recovery training with, with Nikki, and then, um, got to teach yoga of 12 step recovery in a treatment center, at Terra Treatment Center for six and a half years south of Indianapolis. And that was such an amazing experience and really seeing um, people have simple, accessible tools to calm down And to move away from just automatically reacting and reaching for the fix to being able to create a space of choice for themselves by being able to calm down. And just simple things like learning to feel their feet on the ground, feel their breath, you know, teaching them how to feel the breath, how to feel your feet. It isn't to just feel your feet. It's like, no, put your feet flat on the earth. Now pause and feel your feelings. <laughs> so it's just slowing that process down or helping people slow that down. And, um, and for me, I'm, I'm in recovery myself. I celebrate 33, celebrated 33 years, April 20th. Ooh, and, congratulations! And when I, yeah. <laughs> thank you. I'm, I'm grateful. And so again, it was when I first heard about yoga, 12 step recovery, I was like, Oh, that makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Um, what could be better than, you know, the 12 steps and the knowledge and the wisdom there and the spiritual practice there together with an embodied practice. And so, um, it, it was a real joy and a real honor and a real privilege to be able to teach that in a treatment center. And I saw people really benefit from it. I, it was, um, you know, I'd hear from people afterwards that they still were doing their yoga practice. They still were, you know, seeing benefits. And, uh, there were a lot of stories that, that I could tell about that time. Um, and maybe if you cue me back in, I will, but I'm just mindful of our time right now. Yeah. So, so there was that. And then, um, with it, Ross's uh, urging really, or in with his support, he really, um, introduced me and supported me and urged me to become more deeply involved with the meditation practice. And, um, up until that point, I had meditated sporadically. The Tibetan Buddhist tradition does not um, really teach a, it's it's very heavily um, philosophical and intellectual. But the the practice that we do is called shamatha or calm abiding, which essentially is single pointed meditation. Uh, but the emphasis really is on analytical meditation, where you're just thinking about a concept and analyzing it over and over again. And so um, when I got introduced to mindfulness and concentration practices, uh, Vipassana basically is the mm-hmm. name for it, I, I really was um, quite taken with it. It was also, at the beginning, very difficult. And as you know, the, one of the limbs of yoga is meditation. we do all these other practices to begin to prepare ourselves to really meditate. And so um, <clears throat> I had the, the opportunity to sit some uh, five-day, seven-day, 10-day silent retreats at Spirit Rock in California and have since been able to set uh, silent retreats with Spirit Rock faculty and people who've been trained there at Oakwood Meditation Center in Muncie, which is a great resource if you haven't checked it out. And um, those silent retreats have just been pivotal. And just feeling the, the depth of settling and the depth of being so aware of my own mind and of everything that's going on around me, or everything that's going on, period. It just, you know, and it comes down to, you know, as they say, just this, and realizing in the moment, just this, and then there is no moment. There's no separation between me and the moment. It's just this. And um, I remember being on a trail above the, the teacher, the meditation hall, and taking steps and really feeling that just this, just this, not even naming it as a step, but just that total collected unification of experience, mind, body, breath. It, it, it's, it's just wonderful. So I have a daily meditation practice. <laughs> Now that I feel is pretty solid and uh, and that is of great benefit and um, and and just has really been even deeper and more beneficial through this time that we're going through right now with the pandemic that it's allowing me to Just be with what's going on and noticing when reactivity starts to arise or anger, being with all the emotions that that we feel through this time, through all times, and just being with it and not having to fix it, not having to do anything about it as, as, as emotions, but just simply be with and having the, having had the training to do that. So so that's kind of my yoga journey. It's been <laughs> it's been a uh, it's been an experience. I'm 72 years old now and still practicing and still meditating and mm-hmm. and Grateful every day to be on the right side of the dirt, second air. <laughs> yeah, West <laughs> is gravy.
0: <laughs> right, right. Well, you and me both. And that, you know, that's like, uh, it's it's great to hear your journey. And I, uh, I just I have known you for a long time since I think Rolf's first training in the three hundred right. hour that started in two thousand and thirteen. Yeah, um, but. Uh, and i had you know our, our just our paths have been very parallel in our journey cuz i you know 12 step recovery long before i found yoga and yeah and that and then we did our 200 hour about the same time you did it with Rolf i did mine with Nikki and Marsha <laughs> <laughs> you know and then we ended up in that 300 hour together um with Rolf and then and now doing a little refresh with Rolf on this thing. yeah 300 and um and I was you know passionate about scuba diving never got to be an instructor but that um the thing with um I was thinking you were talking about your meditation journey and and how you know in 12 step 11 oh and yeah and I I've taught Y12 SR for like five years
1: yeah
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we just have a lot of a lot of parallels but no, back to that, um, you know, if you think about the way AA literature talks about meditation, of course, it was written in the 30s and the 12 and 12, late 40s, but uh, it's really talking about uh, of a contemplative practice, you know, mm-hmm. where the, the, the suggestion there is to, if you have a like a spiritual tradition that you follow that has a meditative practice to follow that, or find something inspiring or spiritual to read and reflect on the meaning of it at a deeper level, and uh, so I remember taking that uh, St. Francis prayer, you know, and mm-hmm. that, uh, um, you know, make me a channel, like you know, and and then you know, where there's darkness, bring light; where there's you know, discord, bring harmony, you know, and and on and on. So that that kind of became my a really early on meditation practice, nice. That, that evolved over time, and like in the eighties, I just started really exploring different. Towards the end of the eight, late eighties, early nineties, but you know, different styles of meditation and and you know just um, and actually even in my first year of sobriety, I was doing gazing at a candle, you know, and and I was trying to incorporate Mm -hmm. other types of meditation beyond that sort of 11 step work. And, um, you know, and that, you know, eventually led to yoga and, and I immediately thought kind of like you did, there's like a meditative quality to the, this is more than a workout for sure. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, I appreciate that, but I, um, I would like to circle back a little bit. We were talking um, around your training with Matthew Sanford and that prana body or that energy body. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, I think that if we, it's kind of one of the first things we sort of bump into on our yoga journey when we're, we're focused on the physical and then, then we start to get into those subtle energies, and the mm-hmm. energy body being one of them. Um, how did that, like, when you're scuba diving, or you know, traveling, or working, you know, with the, you know, planting? How does that show up for you? Yeah, and like it what?
1: showed up for me with the physical work, with the power lifting, uh, certainly with. I don't know so much with scuba diving because scuba diving was such a a totally immersive, no pun intended, experience. Which you know I can talk about a little bit later. It was, I mean, scuba diving was a spiritual awakening as well, no doubt. I went in for the first time, came out and cried for a half hour. And what I realized was that I was in the middle of this vastness that touched every part of the earth. And I remember my my instructor pointing to this little tiny banded coral shrimp, and I remember thinking, here's this creature living its life in this vastness. And it was such a sense of being so connected with a planet, with the whole Earth, it was. It was again. It was one of those pivotal experiences that rocked my world.
0: Well, you uh, connected with your breath as well.
1: Oh yeah, oh, with your mind. breath and <laughs> and with the weightlessness and the lightness of the body, which is very akin to really accessing prana. You know, in the yogic tradition, we talk about it talks about in the sutras about levitation it it's a thing and and that is recruiting the prana body to um a large extent so to return to your question (laughs) more mundane manner what i would find uh as i was lifting or as i was doing work if i really focused on the different parts of my body that i needed for a lift or for a particular piece of work when i really focused it was easier Mm -hmm. because i i was recruit and i didn't know it at the time what i was doing but i was really recruiting prana and then i would incorporate the breath with that the other thing that yoga did for me the physical practice did was it made a lot of um engagement in the body in precise ways, accessible and more automatic. Because I was doing a lot of stuff where I was having lower back pain, like lifting a shrub and twisting to move it to another place and not engaging my core. Mm-hmm. And so yoga really taught me that and it became an automatic practice, something I just did. And so, as well as powerlifting. And, but bringing in that, that recruitment of energy by bringing awareness or consciousness to different parts of my body and the prana that, that arose in that part of the body because of that. It it made things infinitely not infinitely easier not if it was easy but it made it, it I noticed a difference yeah I really noticed and like today I'll language in my classes if you're in warrior two bring the space underneath your arms into the posture notice if your arms feel lighter you know bring the space between your legs into the posture so you're recruiting the energy all around you. Mm-hmm. and and realizing there really is no separation between the energy around you and the energy within you. And so it's that exploration that's been uh, so powerful. A couple of really powerful stories that I witnessed uh, with Matthew. One was at a workshop at City Yoga, and um, he transfers himself to the floor and gets on the floor and does his spiel. And then usually when he's holding people in down dog, um, he'll transfer back up to his wheelchair. And this particular time, he hadn't transferred back up, but he waited till after the class was over. And he pressed his hands on the floor, and I don't know what he did. He gathered his legs underneath him, but he literally levitated his butt up into the chair. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, I said, What did I just say? He said, and he, you know, kind of just dismissed. So he said, I used to be able to put my butt up a lot higher. (laughs) But, you know, as I age, I have more spasticity, blah, 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 blah. But I was like, holy God, you know, and he does stuff that you, quote, shouldn't be able to do if you're paralyzed from the chest down. Mm-hmm. um and it's it's prominent that's all it is and then i when i was in a workshop with him or i was doing my uh study with him in many in uh, minneapolis at mind body solutions which is an amazing organization that's really worth checking out mind body solutions um he has a student named Chris who had has cerebral palsy and he's always in spasticity. And Matthew started working with him saying, now, you know, press into your feet, you know, which bring your awareness into your feet and then referencing lang- with language all the parts of his body. And then finally, Chris is sitting upright and he's not moving. And the whole side of the room that he was in heats up. Mm. And we're like, what is going on? And it was the potential energy that was being released from his spine. Oh, wow. And then some of us got to work directly with Chris. They do something they call the rack, which feels amazing if you've been to anybody, but especially if you've been sitting in a chair. He, I had a hold of Chris's heels, and somebody else I had a hold of his wrists and we began to just stretch him out and i swear to god in 30 seconds i was dripping wet wow. and i looked at the other woman that was uh, holding his wrist and she said i know but am i just having a hot flash or what <laughs> but it was incredible and so when i say prana is literal that's how it became so literal to me. And, and then accessing that in my own body mm-hmm. um, and just understanding um, the power that that has, especially for somebody that may not have full loose use of their physical body. It's like if I have a quadriplegic on the floor, how am I going to teach them Tadasana, mm-hmm. right? And it's just referencing those key parts of the body that move the energy upward through the body and from the ankles to the thighs, to the, you know, diaphragm, maybe um, it's, it's has been an amazing study.
0: Yeah, that is, I mean, that is truly amazing. And uh, I think you, you shared a story too. I think it was you about um, maybe it was that city yoga workshop where some Somebody brought in a um, maybe a sibling or family member that was very like uh, constricted, mm-hmm. and he was able to like get them to to get their physical body to release, mm-hmm. and you know it's just like like how does that happen <laughs> you know unless you're mm-hmm. tapping into. Um, you know, something deeper, I guess, something subtle, more subtle within us. and them.
1: Yeah, beyond the physical body.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, I had a man that I worked with in, in Mexico who had a stroke. And at one point, he was lying on his back on the floor, and I started languaging, you know, move your awareness to your left shoulder. He was affected on his left side, and now just... Let it come down, your arm to your elbow, down to your wrist. Feel the palm of your hand. And just let your fingers relax. And his hand was open at that point. It was always in a fist because of the contractures. And so it's, yeah, (laughs) it's kind of a big deal.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, and, there, you know, we're tapping into, I mean, tapping into the nervous system, we're tapping into prana, we're tapping into just a lot, and, and a lot that we don't even know about, right? Yeah. Uh, the, uh,
1: yeah, I think there's a certain mystery to yoga. I mean, there is a mystery in yoga that is, um, it's always present, Mm -hmm. and um you know it's also a mystery that connects us with divinity and um you know rolf talks about how he doesn't say a word unless there's been some kind of download from the man and manifest to the manifest and i find myself doing that as well Mm -hmm. that there's a real um there's a real energy connection with the people in the class there's a there's an exchange of energy which is sacred and needs to be honored and respected and there's also um, an intuitive knowing that arises and that taking the time to pause in teaching a class maybe it's just a beat between you know an instruction one inhale do this exhale do that but doing it in a way that there's, it allows space for that intuitive download from the unmanifest to the manifest. And that has been a great teaching um, for me. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's such a privilege and such an honor to be able to access that and share that with my students. It's uh, yeah, it's a mystery,
0: it's a mystery, and it's powerful. and I just, somebody sent me a little YouTube documentary um, recently that it was about and you're talking of the movement of the prana and and tapping into the energy of the prana body or can kind of remind me of this where it was a uh, these were actually Tibetan yogis that mm-hmm. agreed to do this documentary because they didn't want the traditions to be lost, you know. And and these are the guys that go into the caves of the foothills of the Himalayas or, or deep into the mountains. And, mm-hmm. you know, and they're there for three, four years on a mm-hmm. uh, retreat. <laughs> so they
1: <kind> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's really retreat.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The one tradition was like you go for three years, three months, three weeks, three days. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which is like you know, you know, like twelve hundred days or something. I mean, it's like a it's a long time. And uh, but anyway, the uh, one of the demonstrations um, this guy did, and he did it seated on a like on a, a little stack of uh, so sort of like doing gymnast, gymnastic pads so it was mm-hmm. a soft surface and the guy was not um you know like muscularly he didn't it wasn't he didn't look ripped you right. know <clears throat> almost looked a little soft
1: <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> but didn't have a any pronounced physicality about him right and he So he started, he's like, you know, this is something that we were taught to do. And it takes several years to learn this practice. This is like a sadhana, basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I still practiced it a couple hours a day. And it, it was incorporating some, a little bit of sound, uh, prana or, or, or um, the pranayama. So some movement of the breath and the prana through the breath and uh, and some seated movements with the body it was almost like that shedding of energy you know how we sometimes whether we're doing tapping or you know but that what looked like is that idea of just like you know letting go of unnecessary energy but then he he sat there and he was doing some breathing he did a little bit of twisting and he's like sitting in full lotus and he just hops up in the air without using his arms. I've seen that. Yeah. And the uncross, <laughs> he, he, he's in midair uh, and brings his legs back into full Lotus lands. Yeah. And breathes, And then again, hops up again. And so it's all like, it's all coming from within. You can see like, like the energy is coming from within and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, hopping up from full lotus, and is is like a feat anyway. But when you see it in a, you know, like in a a a body that's not like an Olympic, he he didn't look like an Olympic gymnast, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I I would challenge an Olympic gymnast to be able to do that, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean I am sure there's a there's a. Uh, a blend of physical and energy, but it seemed much more energy than anything else. Yeah, and it, uh, yeah. So anyway, that kind of made me think about wow. This, I mean, this is like some powerful practice that we don't understand. And and the
1: my my Buddhist teacher Geshe Jim Sonam at Indiana Buddhist Center talks about one of the levels of uh, practice is becoming light enough to sit on a blade of grass mm-hmm. and that when we achieve certain levels of um, meditation or practice that that that's quite possible and I too have seen that that uh, what you're describing that that video um, I just think the possibilities that we have, uh, are so much more vast than we realize and you know that we're privileged to have that glimpse you know into this kind of wisdom and knowledge and, and don't you think with
0: with your work with the the earth like with their hand, hands in the soil um you yeah, know i like to plant and grow things and i i feel um I just like an energetic connection with the earth when i'm digging in the soil i mean yeah you feel how do you feel does that feel like prana or what does that feel like to you
1: it definitely is a connection with the energy that's everywhere you know, and certainly is in the earth, and it's. I think, I think the energy in the earth is more concentrated. That's how it feels to me, or more. Um, and this is just me. This is just my experience, but that it it is more concentrated, and it's more calm. It's more um, well, it's a grounding, and so. I a, Another pivotal point in my life was um, beginning to garden, you know, like 35, 40 years ago. And um, just a simple little garden in my backyard and coming home from a real, a fairly stressful job in social work. I'm, I'm also a social worker by trade and did that for 15 years or more. And, um, and just that again, the immediacy of of and the collectedness of attention that gardening makes available to us, and then just that energy from the earth uh, was just like, oh my goodness, this is amazing, and uh, and yeah, and feeling, and again, not not having a name for it, but just knowing that 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 was. That was true, yeah, so yeah, that's a great exploration, so yeah,
0: and I think I've always kind of felt that, even when I was a kid growing you know, growing mm-hmm. a little backyard garden and uh drawn to like go out camping you know weekends and
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and just like walking on the earth like anywhere in the world I've been there I just feel this deep connection walking on a trail, hiking along, you know, seashore or mountains or, you know, a meadow trail. And, and so like, um, you know, my, you know, my mom's side of the family were from Scotland and they came over here to start farming and a couple hundred years ago. So there's like that connection with the land, you know, and I, so I kind of think about, um, people that work with the land have, a, I don't know, there's, uh, some, like some type of appreciation with the connection there. Um, uh, mm-hmm. even though there's, you know, people that destroy the land, <laughs> yeah. working with it in a different way. <laughs> um, yeah. so, but yeah, yeah. With that, um, uh, um, and they always talk about, you know, like you, you can't control the rain and the sunshine, you know. Yeah. But you can um, control what you can control, right? So it's like your response to it, <laughs> right? Right. Plant at the right time. Don't you know? Plant your garden in the middle of July.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, you can't. You, yeah, it's like you have to be so aware of and flexible with the cycles and you know even you know during the course of a day Mm -hmm. and um be aware of you know the weather certainly and just the subtleties of what's going on in one area versus another in terms of the soil itself i mean it's um the natural world has always been a refuge for me i grew up in a rather no a violent alcoholic home and um, I had horses and I would get on my horse and go into the woods and that was my refuge that was my escape and um, I'm so grateful I had that rather than turning to other stuff that could have been a lot more harmful and just feeling that deep sense of connection and calm and safety um, beside the creek and back of my house, which is where 465 on the south side of Indianapolis now runs,
0: <laughs> right. yeah,
1: unfortunately. Right. But there was a beautiful woods and fields and creek there. And uh, So yeah, it's, it's, it was very healing and I, I knew I could go there and be safe. Yeah, um, And I still feel that sense of safety and calmness and connection when I go into the woods or anywhere in the natural world. Yeah. So, anyhow. Yeah. Um, you and I share a lot of parallel paths, my friend.
0: I know we do. I mean, I grew um, up in suburbs in Ohio and a woods with a creek behind the house. <laughs> Not, you know alcoholic home and that was definitely a refuge and and all the you know kids from the neighborhood we would run around out there and you know that was like a definite um you know just a safe place I guess or a comforting place and a connected place with its own set of dangers you know of you know just being in the in a, in a woods, whether it's poison ivy or barbed wire or snakes, <laughs> snakes or, you know, what like, you know, like bugs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I've always loved that. And, um, you know, I've been known to go, you know, backpacking. Yeah. Into the Rocky mountains, you know, solo and just settle into the, oh. the, the connection with the vastness of it. And there's also a, humility about like I'm just this little human being amongst mm-hmm. all of this. And um, um, one thing I, I was wanting to circle a little bit back to, like how did like Mexico happen? <laughs> I mean you just kind of <laughs> casually measure, well it spent two months a year in Mexico and then and you talked about your teacher Tammy and how how did you get connected with her as a yoga teacher and end up a, a scuba diver ch- teacher and all that.
1: Um, I went to Mexico on vacation with my husband and some friends and um, was at dinner one night and overheard this father and son talking about having done this discover scuba course with this guy, Freddie Contreras, who was my, instructor for all my training up through instructor and uh and just how amazing it was and so i started and i had never really thought about scuba diving and 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 i'd done a lot of snorkeling and and that was fine and so uh i started talking to him i said yeah you should call this guy he's great so i did and went did a discover scuba course and that's when i came out of the water and cried for a half hour (laughs) (laughs) i was like i gotta do more of this and so (laughs) subsequently the next that was that would have been in like in january february and then that summer i went back down to mexico and did my open water and advanced and you know da, da 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 you know all the steps to becoming an instructor and uh and I worked at a dive shop in Mexico as an instructor during high season, just taking whatever was left over in terms of clients. Cause I didn't want to take work from people that were there year round. Um, and then I, I also, uh, when I initially started going down there for longer periods of time, the first thing I did was hit AA meetings because I knew, and thank God I was sober at the time because that place would have eaten me alive, and um, and that's how I met Tammy, and met the majority of my friends, you know, my circle of friends uh, in in Cozumel, and had been go, you know, and did that for twenty one, twenty two years, and still go down there, but just not for as long a period of time because I'm teaching yoga. <laughs> 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 it's Okay. Um, I'm not doing landscaping anymore. Um, So I had that period of time in the winter to get away and go down there. And so that's kind of how that worked. And then I started practicing with Tammy. She had just become a new teacher um, in a training with Baron Baptiste in Uh Rolfe. I mean, yeah, we're going way back. And so she came back, and I, I when I became a teacher, I really appreciated her courage, because she would be in the front of the class with Baron's Journey into Power book, flipping the pages, <laughs> going through the postures. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of was the level of the teacher trainings then, mm-hmm. um, and but it, it worked, you know, it totally worked, and uh, but I. I always honor her for her courage and, you know, as my first teacher introducing that to me. And then she brought Rolf to Cozumel and kept yelling at me, (laughs) suggesting that I wanted to take the training and become a teacher. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was one of the best things that I ever did.
0: Uh, That's awesome. And
1: Rolf is just, I mean, he is so authentic and down to earth and, um and just he's just real and and he's also done such deep exploration of yoga and meditation and um and I was kind of skeptical you know of this guy you know because I heard stories about the guys who were teachers in yoga and you know that whole thing and and I just trusted him. You know he talked about his wife and kids, you know. And so um, he's he's been a great benefactor to me, and I'm very grateful he's he's uh, had me as an assistant at several of his trainings that he does at Eslin and Kripalu and opened up things to me that I never would have been able to do and or or been able to afford to do so i I owe him a huge debt of gratitude, and he's become a dear friend as well yeah. so
0: very cool, very cool um, well, we we should start probably wrapping up a little bit. How are you on time? I'm fine okay. Um, rigid, right okay right <laughs> this
1: has been so fun
0: yeah <clears throat> no i'm I'm so glad you took the time to to do it the um I need. All right. And then you were gonna add something. What was that?
1: Yeah, I also wanted to uh and I, I spaced it. It's being 72, those things happen. Um I wanted to speak a little bit about um, teaching yes to vets, which was a veterans yoga class. Um it was, uh, it's actually an organization that was founded by Nancy Schalk, who other people have talked about and she was one of the people who brought yoga to Indianapolis and really made you know long before it was fashionable or widespread and her journey took her to um, working with vets and teaching a trauma informed yoga practice and I had the amazing good fortune to be able to study with her and to um, have a class on the West Side and Speedway uh, to teach veterans. And uh, that was such an honor and a privilege. Unfortunately, that program is no longer in existence, um, um, but may have a revival in the future, so.
0: Was it like at the VA, did you say?
1: Yeah. No, it wasn't at the VA. It was, there were two parts of, of that program. One was studies that were done at the VA um, on the efficacy of yoga for PTSD, traumatic brain injury, chronic pain, and I got to participate in the study for PTSD as an assistant. Um, And then the second part was classes in the community that were free for veterans, so that, that after they were in a study or they heard of it. Otherwise they could come. And, uh, it was, it was, uh, again, those stories of yoga being so beneficial in so many ways. So, so again, that was, I wanted to give a shout out to that program and to Nancy as well. Yeah. So,
0: well, and that reminded me of something too, when you were talking about, um, moving the consciousness around the body and uh, yoga nidra it reminded me a lot of kind of that practice of it really is moving energy around the body by focusing on different body parts and i've seen that used with veterans on sort of that trauma-informed yoga idea i guess is that what nancy was kind of
1: we didn't do yoga nidra in the classes, but she did give people that were in the classes and or the studies a CD that was a yoga nidra practice.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and the particular sequence that we did, um, and it was the same every time because that kind of consistency is important in a trauma-informed practice, there, no surprises. Mm -hmm. and um and also it was sensitive to military culture there were certain words that you didn't use you didn't use surrender you know and and we had to be very careful with our languaging um and i also did uh the module one of warriors at ease and they really talked about the synthesis of yoga and military culture and and what to do what not to do what kind of music you're going to play, if you're going to play any music, which we did not. Um, there, it was a whole set of learnings that was um, a lot of stuff that I had never thought about, you know. And, and then, of course, the whole thing around, which, of course, we practice in other classes, you do not do any kind of hands-on stuff unless you first ask permission. And it was preferred that you didn't do any hands-on stuff Mm -hmm. um, in terms of – and no comfort assist, just simply if an adjustment absolutely needed to be made or could be made, then you always let people know that you were near. First of all, that you were even near, you called, you know, talked to them by their name and then said, is it okay if – and I remember one guy saying, Yeah, you need to do that, because I broke my wife's ribs when he came, she came up on me too you know, and I didn't know she was there. <laughs> I was like, Okay, I'm listening now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it was it was that. And uh Yeah, I mean that's that's a whole nother discussion. But uh again, it was just something I am so grateful to have had the opportunity to do. Yeah.
0: Well, and you what about um, you mentioned fifteen years of social work, and is, did that lead you? And um, I mean, what was that? I I didn't know about that.
1: Yeah, I did. I graduated from IUPUI in the School of Social Work in seventy seven and. What's really interesting to me right now is that how a lot of the social work stuff is coming back around in terms of the yoga that I teach or have taught. That's why, yeah. 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 That being said, I did, I worked for an organization called Indiana Nutrition Campaign, and we did a lot of statewide organizing around food programs and food resources and organized the original steering committee that founded Gleaners Food Bank. And I worked with the WIC program and um, would be invited into communities to help them organize setting up WIC programs. And so I um, founded or helped found 16 uh, WIC programs in the state. And then after that, we uh, <clears throat> I worked as a... Uh, training and technical assistant consultant for Legal Services Corporation in a 14-state region, and that's how I met my husband because we did a training of trainers in Pennsylvania, and that's where he's from, so that's another full tangent. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we moved to Evansville, and I worked there as a um, medical social worker for visiting nurses, and then was asked to become the coordinator for a drop in center for women who were affected by addictions in Evansville. And that was a wonderful little house in the neighborhood, and we did all kinds of stuff, had 12 step meetings there, and it was great. And then I moved, we moved to um, Knoxville, Tennessee, and Ken had taken a job there as director of the legal services program there and that was when I went there with the intention to get my master's in social work and and in the meantime before the semester started I took some horticulture classes and thought you know this is what I really want to do (laughs) and so I made a 10-year transition from social work to horticulture And my last social work job I had was Catholic Social Services here in Indianapolis, a parenting and children divorce program coordinator. And they were my first major account. So I started doing the maintenance work at the Catholic Center in the Archbishop's House. And um, It's interesting what happens when you show up and say yes. Mm -hmm. And so that's... That's kind of what that was all about.
0: Yeah, following that heart, you know.
1: Yeah, but, you it know. has. It has definitely been following my heart.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think like right now in these times of pandemic, that there I think a lot of people are forced to slow down and, you know, not everybody, but and there's some, you know, reflection, some deeper listening that's happening. That you know people are in a time of shift, whether it's their industries downsizing or they're um, have just had maybe they were stuck, you know, or unhappy or you know thinking about making a change. So I, I, I would suspect you know like when we come out of this, I mean obviously with unemployment numbers, the the workforce, is going to shift, you know, what people were doing as opposed mm-hmm. to what they will be doing. But there will be, uh, you know, this time of, you know, inner reflection happening and um, um, hopefully people making more mindful choices, which, you know, mm-hmm. the, um, you see a lot more meditation and mindfulness practices being offered out there through social media and uh, online. And I think that's going to have a ripple effect, you know, where, you know, um, people dealing with the trauma of, of uh, quarantining, you know, or, you know, in a pandemic cycle uh, and the stress and anxiety and all that comes with that. Um, in my you know hopeful outlook can be transformative for a lot of people in a lot of ways and i think people will need will, will need and continue to need yoga and meditation more than ever um, yeah. to tap into some of those subtle bodies we were talking about earlier and and um you know it's so so yeah and even the um you were talking about not using hands-on adjustments with the vets, and it reminded me of like, I mean that's one of the first things we stopped doing before the shutdown. You know, but when mm-hmm. it was clear there's a, you know, a health concern out there, and so you know, it's like diligently sanitizing everything. But that was one of the things, like, no hands-on adjustments, and yeah, and, uh, which. Depending on the style of yoga, on some styles like Ashtanga, that's like such a part of it, it like really threw the teachers off. But on the, uh, but like in general, you know, the, it made me think like how many people, like we talk about creating safe space, like you were, you know, doing with your vets, how many people come to a yoga class and like they don't want to be touched, you know? And now, I mean, there's, you know an ethic of you know like a culture of asking like hey i do hands-on adjustments and if you don't want to be touched you know raise your hand or do something and and that kind of you know then it puts it puts it kind of back on the student like right i don't want to be the only one that doesn't get touched you know (laughs) or what if i like don't say anything you know, like I'm, I'm okay with adjustments, but then I never the teacher doesn't come around you know it just creates this oh it's it, it's it, it gets people yeah. in their head more than it needs to, but now it's just like off the table, so it's like when we end up reopening and we're doing you know regular but smaller classes you know they'll be like no, no sharing props, no you know uh um, yeah. zone adjustments um so I think it might feel safer in a way because there's less things like there. It's more. Um...
1: Well, when you think about the that one in three people are carrying trauma from significant right. trauma in 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 their lives, you know whether it's childhood trauma or an auto accident or whatever, and and how you know, receiving an adjustment just triggers all that mm-hmm. if it's done unskillfully. And I, I'm very much of the opinion that adjustments do not need to be done unless absolutely necessary. And and really, are they necessary? That's another whole discussion. And I think we're learning they're not. And the other thing that, that I think is so hopeful is just what this whole virtual world has opened up for us in terms of yoga practice. I think we're going to have people, you know, you talked about, and we're going to do it at Irvington Wellness as well, that having classes be live simultaneously with being on Zoom so that people can access classes at home as well as in person. And and what that's going to open up in terms of people who maybe don't want to come to a studio, they don't feel comfortable in their bodies. They don't, you know. They may be autistic. They may, you know, have a lot of trauma and and prefer the comfort or the safety of their home. I think it's it's going to be another whole wave of uh, another whole generation of yoga that's going to be opening up. You know, just. You know, Rolf talks about the different generations of yoga, and, and and we were in what he calls the third generation, which essentially is bringing yoga into places outside of studios where normally people would not come to a studio to practice. But you're taking the yoga to them. Y twelve SR vets, yada yada, um, and so now it's taking it into people's homes.
0: Right, and, right, and you know it's in a big way. You know. in, in a big way. And since we're, you know, uh, been doing the teacher training so long in Indianapolis, I mean, like, you know, Nikki got Marsha to come start in like, I think City Yoga opened in 2002 and 2003. Marsha was, you know, bringing the teacher yeah. training. Yeah. In. And uh, so 18 years ago, and what we've seen more so in the last few years, people coming in from more rural areas that really got their start in yoga watching YouTube videos, you know, because there weren't yep. any uh, access to to uh, studio classes. And then, you know, and they're um, maybe wanting to, you know, do Y12SR or, or bring, you know, um, do a very specific population and Mm -hmm. so like teaching in a studio is not even on the radar and they've never really even practiced in the studio. I mean, they may have done some group classes at community centers or there's a, you know, there's a community that they, you know, get to have a favorite teacher, but, but sometimes it's, you know, more so not, they have a, a pretty rigorous, rigorous home practice, if you will. Yeah watching it from online so there so it's kind of it was like a an outlier thing now that uh, you're right we'll probably see more more and more of as um well clearly during the pandemic and beyond and um, and so i think it's going to broaden the awareness of yoga you know i do
1: too and i also think that it's we can't under overestimate the importance of having a yoga home right yeah and so because that is safety that's connection that's comfort it's community and so having a studio that you practice at and you have a community with and having that studio available in that community available virtually as well mm-hmm. is i think is is uh just really beneficial i know how much my heart lights up every week when i see my students and and they see each other um, so and it also it, it's a, it's a and
0: yeah yeah well and it also creates that um uh, i was thinking about this having gone to twelve um, step meetings all over the country virtually right
1: oh no isn't that the best and
0: then I'm like, going <laughs> to Like I right. but there there's like people I've never met, right? Except for yeah. the digital version. And I'm like next time I'm in that city, I'm definitely gonna go plan my trip around being, you know, at that meeting it's, and meeting yeah. meeting these these guys and people live and uh and i think there's a bit of that going on in the digital you know the online yoga world where people are like this is you know this is great because it's all we have Mm -hmm. and there's an anticipation um of, of meeting people live and and so i think you know a studio i mean studios are already starting to open up and sporadically but Um, and different, you know, different guidelines and ordinances around the the country Mm -hmm. for sure. But um, once, you know, the pandemic is on the decline and getting, you know, becoming more isolated and things really do open up in a safe way that I think that's where We'll see you know a pretty big influx of people coming coming back to classes live for that very reason of that. Um, I think there's just like this uh, human desire to connect, yeah, that we get. We can get to a certain level online, and mm-hmm. you know a lot of yoga teachers are, are very empathic, you know, so there's sort of like that energy connection that, yes. that we thrive on teaching live classes and you kind of get a little bit of it in varying degrees teaching online or connecting like this online. Yeah. Um, but it's magnified in, in person,
1: you know, mm-hmm. oh, and, yeah.
0: uh, and that's like um it's, it, it feeds that that just, I don't know if it's primal or just innate to the human condition to connect. And when mm-hmm. we're um, in proximity in a space, mm-hmm. there's the, there again, that's that energy body. There's like, we're connecting on these subtle levels yeah. that it's very, I mean, I think, you know, I think it's at a certain level that's happening online, but not in the fullness. So anyway, I I think it's going to open us all up to being better teachers and better, more aware students when we return to a, 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 you know, state of interaction. But having said that, there are going to be a lot of people out there that are just not, you know, maybe they're taking care of a, elderly parent or mm-hmm. family members with that are high risk health issues that are probably not probably not going to see them until there's a vaccine, you know?
1: <clears throat> yeah. And, and I mean, that's a real consideration for me at my age. It's like, when will I start teaching again live and how will that, what will that look like? Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's that. Um, just as a personal aside but also i again i i want to circle back to i think the importance of having a yoga home because whether you're doing it live or you're doing it virtually you can build a level of trust with that community and also with the professionalism of the teachers that teach there and so if you're practicing at a studio whether it's in person or virtually, um, I think you can trust that there's going to be a certain level of of care and professionalism and safety that comes with that. And so, you know, I might dial in to YouTube and find somebody on YouTube, but I don't know who they are really. Mm -hmm. There's not, a container there. There's not an organization that vouches for their credibility. Right. And so, again, I just think that um, is useful or having an organization that reaches into the community in a specific way to bring yoga into the community. So, yeah, I think it's interesting times that we're going to live into and just seeing what the next iteration is going to be, mm-hmm. you know, yoga and meditation both. It's been so interesting to have some very amped up and deep connection in this in the middle of all this isolation, physical isolation. Yeah. You know, there's so much available. You know, I, I sat a week-long retreat online with Sharon Salzberg and uh, Joseph uh, Goldstein, to the oh. top Vipassana teachers in the country. Oh, um, well, that must have been awesome. It was amazing. It was amazing. And I would go into a session, you know, we sat at 10, you know, ten, 1, 4, and 7. And, of course, there was a Dharma talk, and then there was the sit. and But then I would get up, and I'd get to practice it in real life. Mm. You know, and so it was um, – it's there's just so much out in fact I really started to get almost too immersed in the doing things on the screen and, and finding that energy is like, yeah, that's too much. Well um, we're but, all gonna
0: have to yeah. keep them with eye strain. <laughs> 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 you know, I mean I know. Yeah, I know. and our neck, you know, like, are we ergonomically, oh, know. you know, I mean so there's there's some perils to Staring at a screen too much. <laughs> um, I <didn't> and, think. <laughs> and I'm an outdoors person, you know, I'm like I'm like a in person, outdoors, you know, yep. active. So it it was a tough adjustment to make to be like staring at a screen and you mm-hmm. know, and I may complain about it and to people that are like, well, that's why I had to do. That's why I'm doing eight hours a day every day because of my job. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm like, well, that's why, that's why I'm a yoga teacher. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, that's because, uh, I'm not, I'm not, you know, energetically built to be doing, but, but uh, having said that, um, I've always been an early adapter to technology and, I can remember early two thousands building websites and doing interactive uh, wow. web stuff. Where I go in the like the video, like the like a computer lab, working on a project and get lost and do that just for hours. You know, two in the morning like oh, you know, like oh, was editing and, and the, so I'm I'm comfortable in the medium and I appreciate the technology and I want to leverage it. For the benefit of yeah. as many people as we can, but given my druthers, I would rather be you know like recording this across the table from you, <laughs> which yeah is just, I know, it feels like it's in person almost, but you know I know it's just not quite but um right. but you know we'll 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 roll with it and and i'm I'm really interested to see what you know things look like a year from now and two years from now and and uh because we're the fact that you know our species is designed to adapt for survival <laughs> mm. and really you know we're with this um you know that's kind of really at the the core of what we're experiencing is this this in survival instinct and so there's there's the Fight, flight, fear, fold—I mean, all those or freeze, fold—all those um, really uh, survival instincts are kicking in in different ways for for each of us because there's that that threat of a uh, of the unknown, and there's all the uncertainty, and our—you know—we like certainty, <laughs> uh, yeah. that, so, which
1: is. Not
0: a reality, right, so, so throw in some good you know Buddhist or meditation or mindfulness philosophy and a yoga practice and uh and the fact that a lot more people are getting exposed to it now than wouldn't have been if we were churning along in the, the typical rat race, you know
1: yeah. I agree
0: but so um, well, we should. Wrap it up because I I actually need to go video some yoga classes. <laughs> but but um, what's the is there any anything we left out you'd like to add to our conversation? Oh
1: I think along the the line of what you were just talking about is is. Yoga, for me, has been a way to understand that we imagine ourselves to be separate, but we're not. We're deeply, deeply interconnected always. And yoga, for me, has been a way to experience that interconnection, you know, and connection within myself and between not just people, but species, you know. And I offer the meta prayer at the end of all practices where we um, offer the benefits of our practices to all beings. And um, I think that's probably the biggest takeaway for me these days with yoga and how this this pandemic has really highlighted that. So I've been offering the meta prayer in the we version, not may all beings be safe. It's may we all be safe. May we all be healthy. May we all be happy. May we all find our freedom. May we all know peace. May we all live with ease. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And
0: and that's... um,
1: Yeah, they just, one of those intuitive downloads from the unmanifest that came to me, so, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that's a good, kind of good way to end with that loving kindness meta and Mm -hmm. intention that, um, you know, for all those listening, you know, we're holding you in our hearts and, and we are all connected. And if we take that time to pause and just be, that's that's where the moments happen that we feel that connection. And, um, yeah. and it's, you know, it's, it runs counter to our culture in a lot of ways where it's do more, be more, busy, busy, busy. <laughs> you can't possibly connect <laughs> with anything subtle. So now we're, yeah, just take a moment to be and um and that's awesome so i could digress and we could talk for hours more i am sure yes I can. <laughs> but uh, yes,
1: i can. oh go ahead i'm sorry well no
0: this was great having you on the show and having time just to sit and chat so thank you very much
1: it's been delightful it's been delightful thank you so much for this opportunity mm-hmm. namaste
0: namaste Now that was fun, and I I t- truly just enjoyed the. I, we could have talked for hours more. So, you know, and, and a big thanks to Gaynell, and thank you to all who've been tuning in and listening to our conversations. And um, the podcast notes will include many of the books and teachers and um, some. Websites that she mentioned during during the podcast. So check the notes for more information on what what Gaynell's up to, and you can follow her on Facebook and all that fun stuff. And also for those new to the podcast, I uh, do want to let you know that we are, in addition to our interviews and conversations, we are doing a meditation series that releases every Friday and. We have a uh, chakra series going on right now, so each each Friday you'll be able to get a new episode featuring on one of the chakras. And prior to that, we, we just do lots of different styles and types and forms of meditation as a way to either introduce you to a meditative practice or to support whatever meditation and mindfulness practice that you've had or maybe reignite, maybe you had a, a practice that you let fall by the wayside. and So these meditations are opportunities to maybe reignite some of that enthusiasm and passion for the practice of meditation and mindfulness. So look for those, and then every other week we will release our, um, our interviews. And any suggestions you may wanna have, you can, you can email us at the yoga voice podcast at gmail.com that's the yoga voice podcast at gmail.com and yeah, we take your feedback and and we're excited to bring new and dynamic guests onto our show all the time so be safe be well and thanks again for tuning in Thank you for listening to The Yoga Voice, brought to you by City Yoga School of Yoga and Health, where we are committed to exploring how yoga inspires and transforms. Find out more at www.cityyoga.biz. That's C-I-T-Y-O-G-A dot biz. Special thanks to our producer, Brian Sims, for his audio expertise.